Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 3 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes in defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 257 is entitled, The Uttermost Farthing, Part 2. In the previous podcast, we discussed the following scripture taken from the Sermon on the Mount. If you haven't listened to Podcast 256, may we encourage you to consider listening to it first. Agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. We concluded the previous podcast with the following scripture by Paul on the resurrection. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty through 42 There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is not probable that those cast into prison or hell will, after being released from prison, resurrected, and judged for their works, go to either the celestial glory or the terrestrial glory. It is more likely that they will inherit a glory compared to the stars. Notice the variety of those who inherit the glory of the stars. Paul tells us, For one star differeth from another star in glory. There is an incredible variety of glories in the lowest heaven. They will be in a lesser degree of glory because while on earth they chose not to keep the commandments of God. However, having paid for their sins in hell, they are rewarded for the good they have done. Few people are totally evil. The damnation is that after the judgment, they will not ever see Christ in the Father again because both the Father and the Son reside in the celestial glory. The reward, however, is that the glory of the stars is a kingdom of glory, of unimaginable splendor. Paul also emphasizes that the heavens referred to as having the glory of the stars are infinite in number. For as one star differeth from another star in glory, that emphasizes the fact that not all people inherit the same reward. No one goes to heaven without the grace of God. However, we are now determining the glory that we will inherit by our work. The glory of the stars is a heaven, for they have already paid for their sins in hell. Since it shines like the stars, it is rather an unimaginable glory, as a reward for what they did that was right. The law of mercy is amazingly extensive, in that it can bring people out of hell. Never forget John three sixteen through 17 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God really wants everyone to have everlasting life. 
In the previous podcast, we referred to the following scripture from the book of Revelation. Revelation 20, 12 through 15. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. John makes it clear that the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. What books are referred to? Obviously, John is referring to the Holy Scriptures. What does it mean that death and hell were cast into the lake of fire? When Adam fell, there were two deaths. One was physical death, and the other was spiritual death. In the physical death, the body is separated from the spirit. In the spiritual death, the spirit is separated from God. Physical death is overcome by the resurrection. Everyone who has a physical body will be resurrected. But not everyone who dies will return to live in the presence of God. Hell, or prison where the spirits were kept, no longer exists, just as death no longer exists. What exists is the lake of fire, and those who are not written in the book of life, which consists of Satan and his angels, and those like him who willfully denied God, having known him, are cast into the lake of fire. All sons of perdition, or children of Satan, willfully and knowingly and consciously place themselves beyond the powers of redemption. As hard as it is to comprehend, they chose of their own free will to be without Christ forever. Remember the words of John, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Christ wanted to save everyone but he could not violate their free will or force them to heaven or do what that which they didn't want to do. Hell is often compared to the excruciating pain of fire. Many Christians take the fire literally. Well, they are correct in the sense that there will be no difference in the pain of burning sulfur and a burning conscience. But we must remember their spirits. They have not been resurrected. They aren't resurrected until it is time for judgment. A spirit cannot feel mortal flames. But apparently there is nothing but mortal flames that describe how awful it is to be under the law of justice. Those who do not inherit a kingdom of glory, not even the glory of the stars, are barred forever, not only from the presence of Christ, but also from the light of Christ and his angels. Surely nothing could be a worse punishment than to be in spiritual darkness forever. What would there be to look forward to? But let's consider the original analogy. Linda, please repeat what the Savior said. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. That explains how exacting justice is. Justice cannot be cheated. Not even mercy can cheat justice. The analogy of the farthing is a good one. How many of you have picked up a penny from the streets? I have a gallon jar heavy with pennies that I have found over the decades. I hardly ever pick it up anymore. A penny is so worthless. An English farthing is a fourth of a penny. It is so worthless that in 1961, England discarded the farthing. 
It is comparable to the Russian kopeck. I remember in my trip to Russia, I traced the footsteps of Raskolnikov, the main character in Dostoevsky's novel, Crime and Punishment. Near the pawnbroker's home, I found a kopeck. I am a huge Dostoevsky fan. Well, the kopeck was big in the 19th century, but Russia, as did the English with the farthing, discarded the kopeck. The point of the Savior's parable is that the law of justice is unmerciful. It requires the uttermost farthing. Uttermost means the greatest or most extreme extent or amount. What is the uttermost farthing? During the Cold War, Russia would not release the German war criminals from prison until the last minute of their sentence was up. They demanded the uttermost farthing for their crimes. With the law of justice, without the law of mercy, there is no mercy. No early parole. No reduced sentence. It must be so. Justice is the supreme law of the universe. If justice were compromised, then the fabric of the universe would unravel and things would go back to chaos. Christ satisfied the law of justice by paying the penalty for us. Justice demanded payment, but justice allowed a second party to make the payment, but not just any second party. It had to be one who never violated any law. It had to be an innocent lamb. Only one person qualified. To understand the law of justice, you must forget your sense of fairness. Justice is not interested in fairness. Justice is interested in crime and punishment. There can be no compromise with justice. Uncompromised and inadamant are the very definition of justice. That is why the entire earth and everything in it fell when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. All justice cared about was that a law had been broken. Justice didn't care who suffered, just so it was satisfied. God is just, or he would cease to be God. That is what perfection means. That is why Christ remained perfect. Had he disobeyed the law of justice, he had no savior. Not even the father could save him, or the father would violate the law of justice. If he violated the law of justice, he would cease to be God. Justice is why things are everlasting. It is why God is everlasting and heaven is everlasting. Those who wish that justice could be compromised are wishing for self-annihilation. They are wishing for a world without law, without order, without perfection, and without God. God is what science is missing in their equation. They will never grasp the true Holy Grail until they accept God. Christ obeyed the Father in everything. He never violated the law of justice, even though he was tempted in the same way we are tempted. Christ, being God, was able to stand in for us and accept the punishment. It is hard to grasp the fact that Christ, who was totally innocent, who never sinned in his entire life, had to endure the fires of hell to save us from the law of justice. Christ made it possible for God to be both just and merciful. Justice is necessary or creation could not stand against chaos. But justice, though sufficient to destroy entropy, is not sufficient to bring about the resurrection. Salvation, perfection, and exaltation of fallen man. Therefore, the law of mercy was necessary, making God both just everlastingly perfect, and merciful, everlastingly our Savior and Redeemer. A God without justice is no God at all. A God without mercy is still a God, for he has all power. But he would have no power of salvation. God lives in a world of absolutes. He cannot self-contradict. How else can he remain God? 
What we owe to Christ, we can never repay. That is why we use the term free grace. All he asks of us is to keep his commandments. Those are the conditions imposed by the law of justice, so free will, agency, freedom, and liberty can be preserved. When Christ said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, he defined for us the entire purpose of the plan of salvation. The purpose of law is to set us free. Only there can we have true joy or true freedom. Freedom can come only through obedience to law. The law of justice is not conditional. The law of mercy is. Because laws have conditions, we have agency. Those conditions are clearly defined by Christ in the Holy Scripture. Because of agency, we had to accept the atonement of Christ of our own free will. Christ satisfied the law of justice. He paid the price for our sins entirely. However, for the price of agency, we must voluntarily meet the conditions placed upon the law of mercy by our Savior. Those conditions are the commandments of Christ. If we don't meet those conditions, Christ cannot save us. He cannot force us to heaven. Or what would be the point of anything? Why didn't he prevent Adam and Eve from eating the forbidden fruit? He must deliver us over to the law of justice if we do not meet the conditions of the law of mercy. However, because Christ has the keys to death and hell, we only must pay for our own sins and not for Adam's transgressions or for the sins of others. However, those who reject his redemption must remain in hell until they have paid the uttermost farthing for their own sins. Once the law of justice is satisfied, except for the sons of perdition, Christ redeems them from hell and rewards them for their work. There is a high price for perfection. We are prone to sentimentality. Some preach that our individual sins add to Christ's suffering. That is not possible. Christ came in the meridian of time. His atonement reaches back to Adam and forward to the end of the world. His atonement is a done deal. He did not wait until the end of the world and add up all our sins. He satisfied the entire law of justice while in the Garden of Gethsemane. His suffering is over. It is up to us to accept the atonement so that our suffering never begins. No one must suffer in hell. It is a choice. In the Sermon on the Mount, Christ is warning us of the excruciating penalty of rejecting his free grace. Among the miracles of the atonement is this. If we keep his commandments, continually repenting of our sins and endure to the end, Christ has the power to make us perfect, even as our Father which is in heaven is perfect. That gives us the right to enter into the presence of the Father and live with the Father and the Son forever. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.